And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torresani. This is such a treat. Erin and Victoria, <laughs> welcome to Emotional Support. I feel like we have been trying to do this for so long, and I've done so many incredible things with with you two lovelies um, in the mental health space. And wow, I can't wait to get into all the the fun things that you have had me be a part of that have scared the living bejesus out of me. Um, and so now I get to scare the bejesus out of you by putting oh, you yay. in the pot now. <laughs> <laughs> the revenge, the revenge. The revenge. But this is so special because, you know, I, I'm going to have you each introduce what, what you do and what you are known for and, and why we're all brought here together. But just to kind of preface for everyone who's listening out there, um, we all met um, – through a, a mutual friend, our friend Ross. Um, Ross has been so amazing, friend of the pod. Um, and he has an incredible technology called Maslow and and it's, it's just wonderful. Anyways, long story short, Ross connected us and I kind of got thrown into uh, what I would say is a very professional um, academic version of what bipolar disorder is and and being surrounded in that world and meeting you two, you know, lovelies honestly has changed so much of how I think about my own mental health and my own diagnosis. Um, and I, I, what it's so special also to me is like, Victoria, you and I both share living with bipolar disorder. We also share being actors. We also share the presence of the stage. Um, and Aaron, you have been probably, I would say one of maybe three people in my entire life who I've ever met who has not lived with the same diagnosis as I have, but has invested so much of your life into it and respected and made me not feel like I'm a crazy person that needs to be like on a display. Um, that And, and you, you, the research that you do and everything that you do for bipolar disorder is just groundbreaking and it's just you've saved so many people's lives so I just want to start off and say that um so I I maybe you know whichever one of you wants to start you know please let everyone know you know kind of what the backstory is of of you maybe we'll start with Victoria since she's okay. there okay I, I was gonna say Erin because she's sort of like the, the glue um yeah so I uh met you through Erin um yes. and I um have a company called Crazy for Life Company, and I'm a mental health speaker and educator, but my background's in acting. So mm -hmm. uh, I was hit with bipolar disorder and psychosis and generalized anxiety disorder, you know, a long time ago, over 20 years ago. Um, and it sort of derailed my life, mm -hmm. uh, stopped acting. Um, and then it took a, quite a while for me to accept the illness and get back into work. And then when I did, I really was missing being creative. So I started writing one person shows. And so what I'm known for is uh, being at conferences and community events and performing these one person shows that have a lot of humor in them. About a lot of humor. They're very yes. funny. It's yes, a lot of humor <laughs> um, about my own experience with uh, mental illness, all the way from, you know, stigma to family stuff to, you know, the whole gamut. So I've got uh, several shows. So that's what I'm mostly um, known for. And then I also work with, 
Erin in uh, her uh, sort of research, international research team, uh, Crest BD, as a peer researcher, so as mm. a person with lived experience as well. And interestingly, one of my plays, one of my most popular plays, actually, was um, commissioned by Crest to be part of a research project. So it's been a really... Yeah, it's been a really lovely, um, we, we worked together for years and I was sort of there at the very beginning stages of it. And uh, um, almost decades been, now. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's pretty amazing. We, we've both been at each other's weddings. We, we've seen wow. each other's dog. I know it's like, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's been really, uh, really lovely. So wow. And then Aaron, how did you get into the world that you are? I mean, you are a professor of psychiatry at the University of British Columbia, which I I have never attended as a student, but I have shot a TV show in UBC. So, you know, I mean, technically I am a student there um, as far as I'm concerned, but how did you get involved in in psychiatry behind all of this and, and especially the, the passion for bipolar disorder specifically? Yeah, my background is in psychology, although I'm in a professor, I'm a professor oh. of psychiatry. Well, there so you go. See, difference. So- I'm not an MD, so yep. no questions on on meds. <laughs> but I came I came to Canada over 20 years ago, and I was I was working in, in depression mostly at that point, mm. and really enjoying the work. And then I had the opportunity for the first time to work with a couple of people who were living with bipolar disorder. Um, Victoria was actually one of the first people I worked with in a, in a research setting. And to this day, still, I just enjoy working in with people with this condition so much. It's very different from a lot of other kind of mental health conditions and, uh, you know, full of creativity and fun and challenges. And also as a psychologist back then, it was very much seen as a kind of biological condition. There was very little research focus on the psychological and the social impacts of the condition. So there was, you know, you know, when you when you're training as a young researcher, everybody says to you, find your niche that's different, you know, Mm. find a gap, some some piece of innovation that nobody else is really filling right now. And you looked over at bipolar disorders and it was just this huge chasm of work that needed to be done around the psychological pieces. And so that's still the space I'm, I'm in and loving years later. Why do you think that it is, you know, because when we talk about, you know, it's it's biological, you know, my father lives with bipolar disorder, although he does not acknowledge it, but but his mother, and I, I don't remember if we talked about this in maybe one of the, the presentations that we gave, but my grandmother, you know, they used to always laugh, oh, she's, you know, a crazy Italian that used to, you know, go around and, you know, hit her husband with a frying pan if he came home late, like, ha, 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 ha. And it's like, well, yes, that's very funny. And I can see where I probably got my humor from. Um, but slapstick comedy. But obviously there was something there, you know, where, you know, obviously X, Y, you know, years ago, that's why research was not around and people were not diagnosed like that. Or if they were, they were they were diagnosed manic depressant and, and they'd be locked up in a crazy, you know, facility and be getting lobotomies. You know, this was like something that was actually like quite normal. But why do you think that bipolar disorder is something that is so far behind from like depression and, you know, schizophrenia? I mean, I don't know about schizophrenia enough to know that it's behind, but it just seems like there. It just now people are really putting the effort into bipolar disorder. 
as an area of research, one of the things that you mentioned, Alessandro, was around the genetic basis of it. You said that your dad lived with a condition. And so I think that when we, we, we do know that there's a strong heritability of bipolar disorder, Victoria can speak to this as well. And I think when you have, it's very obvious that you have those biological components that maybe your parents or family members have experienced the condition, that it leads people more to focus on the biological aspects mm. of the condition. So that's one part of it. And then bipolar disorder from the early days uh, showed remarkable um, uh, treatment by by drugs such as lithium, which are very biological in nature. Um, so that was very much the lens that was taken on it for, mm. for many years. Yeah. And then is it in your family as well, Victoria? Yeah, it's um, it's everywhere, really. I say, you know, instead of the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, it's like the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> You know, and uh, yeah, my mom was diagnosed with it. Uh, My two cousins have been diagnosed with it. Uh, There's depression. When your mom was diagnosed, were you younger? Was she or was this like a a newer diagnosis? Uh, No, it was when I was about eight and it was in the 70s. So it's when it was manic depression. Wow, right, Um, right. But they didn't know that, like you were saying, they didn't know a lot about it. They didn't know... um, whether it was passed down, particularly, I remember my mom getting wrong information saying that it was passed down from son, mother to son or something, which is, you know, it, it can be, but it's not the only thing that can happen. So they weren't paying attention to it with me. And one of the other things that I feel like maybe is just coming up too, is that there's now sort of trauma informed therapy. And I also look at the, the fact that this is in can be inherited or a a genetic vulnerability, but there's also trauma throughout generations and learning styles throughout generations. So who's to say what part of uh, this condition is partially learned and passed down, um, not just because it's genetic or if it becomes genetic because of the trauma that's happened and stuff. So I think it's really, I mean, I I don't know enough about it to speak that clearly about it, but. uh, No, but I never thought of it that way, but it's, it's true. I mean, there's a, everyone used to always laugh. Oh my God, you're just like your dad. And it's funny because my father and I have no relationship with each other anymore. I feel like because of that, maybe, um, maybe it's because we're exactly alike, but, but it is interesting because I do find myself now as a 34 year old adult looking back and seeing behaviors that I do where I'm like, Oh, I kind of recognize like, my dad used to do that. Is that because I remember something that he did and I kind of have adopted that behavior, you know, or is that a biological thing that I can't even help that that's why it's happening, you know? So it is really interesting, you know, especially because I haven't been around in the presence of my father since I was about 16. So it has been years since I've seen that behavior, but it still is so, you know, ingrained in my system where I can recognize certain certain things. Maybe let's actually talk about Crest BD because I want to talk about how I want to talk about our journey with Crest BD, BD of how we talked to the International Society of Bipolar Disorder and all of these wonderful things, and then we can kind of get into that. So, how did Crest BD come about? Uh, funnily enough, it came about precisely because of an interview I was doing with Victoria, which must have been around oh, wow. 2007. It was the first research study 
that I did in bipolar disorders, it was uh, qualitative, which meant we were doing, I was doing interviews and focus groups with people about their experiences of bipolar disorder and the impact of the condition on their quality of life. And Victoria was one of the first people I interviewed and it was a long interview. I remember <laughs> that. We, 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 we couldn't stop talking actually. <laughs> talked and talked and talked. And at the end of it, um, I, you know, I have a, a strong imposter syndrome at the best mm. of times, but I remember at the end of that interview realizing that if we didn't include people's lived experiences of bipolar disorders at the heart of the research that we're doing, that we would be missing probably the most important part of the picture. And Crest mm -hmm. BD was really formed about that, around doing research in bipolar disorders in a way that was that was different, that included lived experience of the condition in every step of what we do. So that includes things like figuring out what areas we're going to research, getting the research funding for it, doing the research itself and then publishing it. And then as you referenced, sort of taking it to conferences and share, sharing our findings. And so peer researchers uh, like Victoria, people with lived experience are team members, just as the researchers are, just as the cl frontline clinicians are. So we work in a group where we just kind of level the playing field for expertise and knowledge and, you know, rebalance the power, I guess, in some of that in, in more traditional research models. What I loved about joining that, you know, a lot of, you know, the conversations and, you know, we got asked to, we got asked to speak at International Society of Bipolar Disorder. Is that what it was? We were doing an invited symposium. Ooh, <laughs> fancy. fancy. <laughs> and I, I just felt like, oh my gosh. And it's so funny because I talked about it on an episode of this podcast, um, a little sub uh, show called Beauty in the Brain that I do with one of my closest friends. He's a neuroscientist, David Haggerty, and he lives with bipolar disorder too. Uh, that's number two, not T-O-O. -O, I always like to clarify. Um, but, you know, it's so funny because this is his life, right? Not only does he research his own brain and other people's brain and uses mice to do it, um, but he also has his own lived experience. And I was expressing, you know, we did a whole episode on resilience. And I was talking about the reason why we did it for season three was how I struggled so much with this question of what is resiliency mean to me? Um, it, for when we, we talked about it during the International Society of Bipolar Disorder for the, for the conference. And I remember being like, I just don't know. And it was so strange and bizarre to me because I said to him, I've never had to explain to people what, you know, it feels like to kind of have that, that bounce back, you know, to people who don't understand who maybe don't live with the same diagnosis that I do, or don't live with a mental illness, you know, and I just remember being so in awe of you, Victoria, because you were like, oh, oh, you know, this is what it means to me. And I'm like, how does she know this? How can she explain this? This is so crazy to me. Like, I don't know how to put into words, even though all I do is talk all day, I couldn't figure out how to put into words. And I'd also never had to explain to people um, who were on the side of research, who were on the side of being the doctors and the professionals who don't understand what I feel every single day. And being able to put that in a few words, it's scary because I was someone that 
felt a lot of judgment from therapists and doctors. I had been misdiagnosed for years of my life and put on, on wrong medication. So for, to me, like Victoria, what you did like in that, it, not only in just the speech, but being able to identify and be able to express in words to someone what the feeling is of bipolar disorder and how you get that bounce back was just so remarkable to me. Was this something that you like have practiced or like, it's like how does one come up with this? Because the word resilience is just not my friend anymore after that. <laughs> I, you know, I, uh, I think putting things into words really helps me cope actually. Um, and I mean, there's, there's literally sort of science behind it. You know, it's called affect labeling where you can label your feelings and it actually can, you know, um, lessen the intensity of a feeling. Um, uh, so I don't know. I mean, it's just the way that, and I also like to paint pictures with words mm. and things like that. So I was uh, interviewed recently uh, by someone for an article and it was talking about the mental health system and being able to use metaphors and things. So um, I guess to some degree, I feel like my job or, vo- or avocation, I guess, is really to sort of translate the experience of what it's like to be on the inside of mental illness. And and I, and I uh, it's not something that I... Um, I uh, feel like I've sort of, you know, you know, did a job, job seeking thing about saying, okay, what am I going to do? And this is, this is it. It sort of just happened. And it's, and it has, as a result of my life experience. Um, And, um, and people obviously seem to relate when they, when they hear something and they recognize it, it it resonates with them. And then somehow I think people feel better because they know they're not alone. Um, so being able to say what it's like and, and for loved ones too, right. Where they go, that's, that's what I see in my loved one. And I had no idea what it was like to, to go, be going through that. Um, well, I think, yeah. And, and, and that it's so funny. The, the people that I feel I've in quote out of quote, you know, touched the most or have affected the most are ones that say to me, wow, I never knew that that is what a loved one felt like. I never knew that that was the experience they were going through. And that's why I think there's such importance in storytelling. And I say it in every episode. It's so important when you're ready to share your story, to share your story, because it's not like you're just helping out someone that may live with the same diagnosis that you do or live with the same struggle. It's those who are not aware of what it is and being able to put it into words. It, it's it's really just, it's so beautiful what you do. And Aaron, being able to give people such as Victoria and myself, a platform to be able to share our experiences. Not a lot of people want to hear it um, from the other side, you know, and I've always felt very kind of like a little icky feeling when it comes to the doctors and the researchers and, and, you know, the professionals behind it, because sometimes I just feel so frustrated. Like I can't express to you what I'm going through, but you're missing the point. And but you're, you're someone working that, with the wrong people, Alessandra. Yeah, that well, makes me yes. really sad to yeah, hear that. And I that has that been it, most of my experience in terms of the way researchers and, and doctors embrace uh, the other side of it, as you just 
describe it. So no, and that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like what you're doing, how you've approached it is so wonderful. And I feel so safe. And, and that's why, you know, at the beginning of the episode, I say like, I never felt like I was put in this, like, you know, jar on display of like, share your story yeah. because this yeah. is, you know, <laughs> you know? Like, look at this weird artifact. She's going to tell you her story, you know, <laughs> like, but it's, it's so important for, you know, the, the, the research community and for the people with the lived experience community to come together to kind of make that change. And I think that's what's so wonderful is you see the importance of the story and the lived experience. Um, because a lot of people, I'm telling you, maybe it's a maybe it's an American thing, right? Maybe I got to come to Canada because you Canadians are just everything and more. Because it it does sometimes feel like you're just put on display, and it's like a circus act, you know. And a lot of and I hear this story a lot from people where they don't feel heard. Um, and just you wanting to, you know, do the research and and do and an article or something, you know, on, on your one woman show, you know what I mean? That's so, that's so special and so cool. And your one woman show, while I have never seen it, I have seen clips and I've heard things and it just seems like the funniest thing where I'm like, Oh, I've totally done that. Oh, I've been there. This is amazing. You know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that's yeah. what's so special. And, you know, Aaron, you're saying that, you, you know, obviously I've had bad experiences and we're, we're learning this together and this is trauma that's coming up, you know, but what is it that someone can do like to maybe on my side of the, the, the world and on Victoria's side, what is something that we can do to kind of trust that, that people do have our back and they do have the best intent when it comes to the mental health community? I think part of recognizing, we were working actually, Victoria and I did a talk um, last week with a psychiatrist from Singapore as part of our mm. talk BD series online. And one of the things that really struck me that, that Najela said in that presentation, Victoria, was when she described um, her side of her world as a psychiatrist and why she's a little bit cautious about maybe using you know, a little bit more medication rather than a little bit less. And the impression I got from the way she described it was her utmost concern for the safety of the person that she's that she's working with. And I think when you work with most clinicians and healthcare providers, um, they really do have, you know, the health and the safety of that person and their professional responsibilities at, at heart. Um, you know, you have to work harder, I think, to find clinicians who really aren't driven towards care and to sort of, you know, to provide a, you know, a shelter for somebody. But then the other side of that coin is that, you know, many people with mental health conditions are really disempowered by the condition. You know, it's one of the few conditions where you can have your rights stripped away from you to keep you safe. You can be hospitalized against your will um, at a time when you may think that you don't need hospitalization. So it is a, it's a situation often that's just imbued with power imbalances past trauma, as Victoria alluded to, um, and uh, it's complex. It's a complex space to work in. Oh, it's very complex. Or what is the kind of the change that you're seeing in the research from the research side of it um, with bipolar disorder? Is it with different types of medications, different types of modalities that people are practicing that maybe are alternative medicines? Like what is kind of the, the, the future that we're seeing? 
We've mentioned a few times the importance of diagnosis this morning when we spent some time together. I think there's been some really exciting research that's helped us get better at diagnosing bipolar disorder. On average, though, I'll just lay it out there, it still takes 10 years for the average person with this condition to get the diagnosis right. And that's not the fault of them. It's not even really the fault of the healthcare system. No. It's just one of the most complicated conditions to, to nail the diagnosis on. So there's exciting research in that area. But from my point of view, um, in terms of new treatments, it's actually not even new treatments. It's just paying more attention to, to the psychological and social components of the condition and elevating the fact that um, medications are important or necessary or vital for many, many people with bipolar disorder. But that's only part of the picture, right, Victoria? We've spoken about this many times. Yeah. That, uh, you know, medications may be like the platform that you rest your feet on, but a lot of the other work happens, you know, around that psychologically and socially, right? Victoria, what is some kind of modalities that have helped you um, with your, you know, lived diagnosis? You know, obviously, you know, we've talked about medication is beautiful and I'm a firm believer in, in you know, if it works for you, it works for you. Great. You know, yeah. Yeah. but I know that I think a lot of people in the specific bipolar world, you know, we have to find other types of activities, if you will, um, to keep our mind kind of in line and, and you know, yeah. on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, there's a, a whole raft of kinds of different things that I do. I mean, it's all, it's some of the, uh, some of the stuff that I say that you know, a good parent would tell, you know, teach a child to do, you know, things like eating well, making sure you have good friends, making sure that you sleep enough, all these kinds of things that you have interests. Um, and so those kinds of things, and, you know, exercise, like the things that we often don't want to do, right? And especially when you're feeling depressed, or you're feeling manic when you don't want to eat, or you're feeling depressed, and all you want to do is eat chips and chocolate and cheese and crackers and whatever it is, or that's what my thing is. And um, no, you're not alone there. We're yeah, all there. I know. I know. I think, I think even when, if you're not bipolar, you still have, you know, you don't have bipolar disorder, you still do that sometimes. Um, and so, and one of the other things is psychotherapy, which has mm. been really important for me. Um, and learning it within that, being able to talk about sort of past things around family, but also learning new skills about, you know, how to feel feelings, how to, how to manage different kinds of things like assertiveness and things that might not have been taught to me as I was growing up um, or that get sort of sidetracked depending on what kinds of relationships I'm in and things like that. Um, and as I meet new challenges um, and work too, work has been a really important part of my recovery. Um, and I think mm -hmm. it's really often overlooked. Um, I think partially because people, um, take time off. Understandably, I certainly did. I took a lot of time off. Um, but getting back to work has been something that's built my uh, esteem and confidence and sense of, um, you know, what they call self-efficacy, like, so I can feel like I'm successful um, in other ways. And uh, that has been something that I think um, I was really lucky that my psychiatrist was really, um, clear with that that's what mm -hmm. I needed to start doing again. And so you know, that's one of the other things. The work thing is so interesting to me because I never would have thought about that. But a lot of people always ask like, oh, you must have, you know, 
your your biggest, you know, um, manic episodes on a set, right? Or when you have all the emotions going through you and, you know, that's when it must happen. And it's funny. That's actually the times where it does not happen. It's usually when I'm bored. It's usually when I don't have stability. I'm someone that that is very... Um, it took me many years to kind of figure this out, but I need to hold myself accountable for one thing every day, whether that be if I don't do this one email or if I don't walk the dog. Like I, I always give myself one thing that I must do that day just to hold myself accountable for getting up in the morning, you know? Yeah. Um, and yes, there have been times where, you know, sometimes I, I, have to forgive myself and not get up out of bed in the morning. You know, sometimes there is that moment. Um, but, but truly work and having a work ethic, um, you know, coming on just doing this podcast and going, you know, maybe I don't feel like I, I'm inspired today. Maybe I don't know what I want to do, but you know what? I, I've committed to this. I'm going to do this. I have to meet these two ladies and we have to have this conversation because this is what's important. And this may not help a million people, but it could help one person. You yeah. know, that's how you have to always think about these things. And I think that with work, it, it, it gives you kind of that structure. You know, Aaron, do you see that? Do you, with, with your, you know, maybe not even clients, but people around you where you tell them, you know, work is very important for your, your mind and kind of just the stability? Yeah, but sometimes I'm also really kind of um, keep a very open mind for what constitutes work. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah, we understand yeah. work in terms of yeah. paid work or our job. And many, many people with bipolar disorder have, have, have found different ways. It might be through volunteerism. It might be through different types of work to gain the meaning. I think it's meaning and missing your values that maybe is the important part of that. Right. There are a lot yeah. of different roads to get there. And sometimes that takes a bit of experimentation. Uh, many people with this condition learn that shift work working in certain environments that might be a bit more risky, you know, environments mm -hmm. who are exposed to alcohol or drug use, entertainment business, the music business. Let me tell you, entertainment business is certainly <laughs> not the best uh, thing because, uh, you know, especially during a pandemic, putting yourself on tape on an iPhone and just praying that maybe you get that Zoom callback. Uh, let me tell you, there's it's been a tough couple of years of stability. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that's that's one of the things, too, about defining. And I think you hit something right on the head, Erin, about meaning. Um, and so it it's finding something that feels meaningful to do. Um, and that can be something where you help out your neighbor once a week. And that can be your work um, and your purpose. Um, and so I, I really define work really broadly as well. I mean, to me, that's the same thing with recovery. Recovery for some people can be um, married with kids and having a house and other times yeah. for other people, recovery is being able to live in supported housing and uh, or living at home and having a good quality of life that way. And I found a great quote a long time ago, and I wish I know who said it, but I, I looked and I couldn't, but it said, uh, treatment made me stable, but work made me well. And I really like that. That's, and you could replace the word uh, work in that broad definition or you know, finding meaning made me well. And uh, I think that that's one of the things is that quality of life really has to do with finding a way, of, like a, a reason to get up 
And mm -hmm. ideally it's sort of the, the meaning under that task that you have. So like you said, you may have this, um, you know, podcast to record. Uh, you may not touch millions of people, but you may touch one person. And that's, that's, that's the reason why you're getting up because you, you were yeah. probably that one person years ago that needed to have I some was. support. Right. Yeah. No, I, I was. And that's why I always have to, you know, it's not even, I wouldn't say it's an ego, but it's just checking my own, you know, self sometimes and going, okay, you know what, if it wasn't for me hearing a conversation that Carrie Fisher was talking about her bipolar disorder, normalizing it, thriving, having the ups and downs of the struggles, but still being able to continue, continue on, excuse me, and have a child and have a life and have a beautiful relationship with her mother and, and be able to be this incredible writer and do all this. Well, then I can do that. You know what I mean? I, 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 I'm aware that I can do this. And that's why I find the importance of the podcast of that being my in quote, unquote work, because it's the, the work of paying it forward. Um, it may not be me every single time that's affecting somebody or making them go, oh, wow. But it could be the most random guest that I didn't know would have the biggest, you know, impact on, on someone who was listening, you know, or multiple listeners, because it could be not even their own lived experience, but being, you know, I, I find a lot of the people who are affected so greatly are from the guests who are one degree of separation away from the ones with the diagnosis, right? Because so many of us live with a parent or a sibling or a friend or a family member or a someone in the work environment that lives with, you know, a mental illness. And it's the, I don't know what to do. You know, how do you have this conversation? And it was funny. One of my friends, um, Candace King, I, I redid her episode and had it be a fan favorite for the Christmas holiday. And because I thought it was just so great because she said to me, you know, I've known you forever and we've been friends, but I never would feel comfortable going. So you're bipolar. What's that like? You know? <laughs> And it was interesting. It took us to be on my podcast for her to feel comfortable to do that, you know? And so it, it's little things like that, that I think really can have the change and really make the evolution of, and break the stigma of, of mental health. Um, and so I think that that's why something like, you know, your one woman show that's so beautiful because someone could go in and go, I don't know what this is. I don't want to go. What is this going to be a crazy story? And they're like, oh my gosh, holy shit. That's my mother, you know, or that's my brother or that's my friend or that's, you know, the person that works at Starbucks, you know, you yeah. never know, you know, yeah. and that's why it's so important. And it's so important for someone, you know, like you, Aaron, to provide that platform for others. And with Crest BD, you know, you share so many people's different stories, um, which I think is so unique and so special. Do you have people that write in with their own experiences and like, and kind of, or ask for the help? Cause it's kind of a whole ecosystem of, of nurture and support of the bipolar community. We do. Our blog is really active and our blog always takes sort of, you know, lived experience uh, writings that come in. And those are actually the ones of all of the blogs we do, the science ones, the clinical ones. Those are the ones that are read the most, that are shared the most, that obviously hit home. 
Um, mm. So those are incredibly valuable to us. Um, and then every year we do things like there's a you didn't know this, Alessandra, until last year. There is a world bipolar day. I know I didn't know this. Yeah. It's so wild. <laughs> and so, for an example, on World Bipolar Day, we hold the, uh, a huge Reddit conversation. It's only supposed to go for 24 hours. It always ends up going for weeks. It's very hard to close it down. And we use those different types of platforms for sharing of stories and stories of success as well. Yeah, I think that that's important to share how the struggle is real, but then it, it comes forward and, and we can thrive and we can survive and be the best versions of ourselves. Um, I think that the success is so amazing. You know, when I was part of the World Bipolar Day, which the 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 narcissist in me is like, oh my God, there's no other people that live with what I live with. Like, I'm the only cool, crazy person. No, Alessandra, check yourself. You are not. Um, the whole world deals with this. That is why there is World Bipolar Day, which I love now and I am all about. And I am just like, this is fabulous. Um, but reading that those Reddit questions, you know, we it was really cool the way that Cress BD set it up and you all set it up, how we got to choose, pick and choose which questions we wanted to respond to. Now, the ones that were about medication and about, you know, scientific facts and, and medical doctors, like I was not responding to. But the lived experience ones, I was responding to because I understood the feelings. I had felt that feel before. Um, and it must just be so almost uh, kind of as a sense of a relief for you, Victoria, being reading these, because I know it was for me being like, wow, someone really has experienced that before. I am not alone in this. Yeah. Yeah. No, it really did. And what was, it's been very interesting is I've started doing um, uh, shows for corporate events. Mm. And I initially was most reticent to perform like you for doctors, psychiatrists, health professionals and stuff. They've become sort of my warmest audience ones that I'm oh, I love most that. comfortable. Oh yeah. Like it's, I mean, it, because I'm talking to sort of like people who already know the language, they know the inside jokes about being on the psych ward, all that, but corporate audiences, I was like, Oh my God. And I forget like they're people too, right? They're just normal human beings too, or as right. normal as we get. Right. Um, but what I've found was that, you know, you're talking about reading stories and, and recognizing um, ourselves in them, that what's been gratifying for me is when I'm performing virtually, which is a whole different kind of experience. Right. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, I did it. <laughs> yeah. um, but then having people relate um, and thinking somehow that like, obviously some people aren't in the choir and have no experience with an, an individual that has a mental health condition, but that obviously with the stats, there's going to be people watching mm -hmm. that are living with it or supporting someone that they love who are living with it. And so remembering that it, it's everywhere, it's everywhere. And everybody is working through these things. And um, so that somehow, uh, when I see the comments about that, that where they say oh, it helped me understand my my journey a bit better, or you know my spouse or something. I go okay, so there's not really this divide between them and us, which right. is sort of um, the there might be a divide between my experience and someone who doesn't have that experience, mm -hmm. but there's still an there's still an understanding between the two parties. And so anyway, so I find that really really. Um, uh, 
really supportive because I mean, it's been a hard, it's been a hard couple of years for everybody. And it's been a hard couple of years. I definitely for myself as well, like my, some of my symptoms have come back to bite me in the butt and it's just been oh like, my God, mine too. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you know, and of course, you know, here I am supposed to be like, Oh, I'm like the bipolar princess, the one with, you know, some of the support answers and I'm stuff. Sure. And like, okay. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And so I'm just being as transparent as I can be in my blogs. Like, okay. I'm dealing with like, you know, fight club kind of movie kind of anxiety right now. And uh, yeah. so, and being able to, you know, hear other people's stories uh, and, and people who have been diagnosed for a long time and that are still, you know, and dealing with their symptoms too. It's, it, it's helpful. It's really helpful. Because it doesn't go away. And I no, think that no. that's what, what, you know, it's it's not like, poof, here's the magic cure. Like everything's going to be magical from now on. It's, it's putting in um, the time and the effort and the work, you know, into your, into yourself. Erin, what would you say, you know, that, that people who are either newly diagnosed or those who are, uh, you know, have been diagnosed for a while and are, are living with bipolar disorder. What's something that we can, we can do to look forward to the future of, you know, maybe of, of the less stigma or, you know, from the research side of it, like beyond just medication, like, is there any exciting news that we can look forward to with this bipolar community? <laughs> <laughs> Give me some hope. Hey, can I can I talk about our research a little yes, bit at this point? Please. Is that oh, I, would love that. I would love that. This is such a good time for for us to connect. Uh, Victoria has been involved from the beginning of this project for to develop an app for bipolar disorder. It's Stop called, it! Called, this is so exciting. It sounds, you know, I was thinking about this this morning. It sounds a little bit trivial to me inside when when we say, oh, well, we're developing an app for BD, but this is something that we've been literally working on for about 10 years in terms wow. of all of the, the research findings around what self-management and self-care strategies really work for bipolar disorder, what psychological strategies work, where the best of the research evidence is, putting it into one place. Um, so yeah. it's a one-stop shop for people with bipolar disorder to help them really optimize their health and quality of life and we are working towards launching it on world bipolar day this year at the end of march um and uh, yeah it's a really really exciting time for us um, what 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 is the examples of like things that are going to be on there there's going to be articles like probably forums where you can communicate with one another um what what other fun things are are on there that we can look forward to and one of the things i wanted to say that was what i find oh, is yeah. pretty different is that it's it's taken so long because it's based on science uh and evidence-based things so it's been collecting things that uh, are known to specifically help people with bipolar disorder. So it's not just general mental health, it's specific to bipolar disorder. And it's and it's backed up by clinicians who have made sure that this, clinicians and people with lived experience mm -hmm. that have made sure that th these are uh, not only practical, but um, effective kinds mm -hmm. of tools. And to me, that's often the difference because some apps are really fun and, you know, a way to connect, but they're not, they're not sort of as robust and they don't bring in everything. And so to have it all brought into one area, I think is really important. But I'll let yeah, you and they're not specific. It's not specific yeah. to, yeah. you know, right. 
yeah, is yeah. tailored for bipolar disorder, but Victoria is raising such an important point. We could play a game where I would ask you to think of the number in your head of the number of online applications there are for mental health currently. Go for it. We'll think, throw a number at us. 10. 10,000. Actually, what? well over 100,000 applications are available. If you include all of the chatbots and all of the different um, apps available, and then let's think about how many of those have evidence behind them. Mm -hmm. You could hold those the number of mental health applications in a couple of hands that are actually sort of really evidence-based. Some of them are downright dangerous. There was an app at one point for bipolar disorder that recommended if you were getting a bit manic that you have uh, have a, a couple of stiff drinks was the recommendation. So not oh, just not evidence-informed, wow. just downright scary, right? Oh, dear. Oh, wow, 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 wow. So that's what's, I mean, that that's something that's so beautiful. It's like, this is a safe space, truly, because it's run by people who want to make sure that it's safe. Um, it's not just a trusted community. It's, it's, no, 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 it's safe. You have people that are monitoring and making sure that you have the best information right. um, and the best research and the best of everything. This is so exciting. Congratulations. I had no idea. This is such a wonderful treat and surprise. Oh, and I can't and wait to download it. And to bring it full circle, it's built using uh, Ross's platform, Maslow. Oh, so that's the yeah. engine behind it. And if you want to learn more, there's a website where we're taking names for potential. If you're looking to learn more about the study, it's polaus.app. Oh my gosh. Well, I love that. Well, I have my final question. See, this was easy peasy. I wanted to make it easy and fun for us. We had lots of laughs. Um, but the question that I ask every single person on um, the podcast, I will start. Uh, let's see. I like drum roll. Who am I going to start with? I'll start with Victoria. Victoria, what is your emotional support? Oh, man. There's two that come up. Good. That is my dog, Pedro, who is right beside me in my little, he's a little sort of mix of Beagle, Chihuahua, and Jack Russell. He's a total character, a little bit bullheaded, but he's adorable. Um, and my circle of friends, like I, and I can't say, like, I've got like four friends, five friends who have been just um uh just steadfast for me and uh and are so unconditionally supportive when i am in all the feels yeah. <laughs> and uh um and have just always reached out to me when i'm not reaching out which is really important uh because i don't know what all of you out there who know when you're not feeling your your best, sometimes all you want to do is crawl under the covers um, and not talk to anybody. And when you have friends who are willing to reach out and actually ask you that authentic question, like, no, no, how are you? And then I go, oh, I'm okay. How about you? I said, no, no, I'm not done with you. <laughs> That's what they literally say. To have that, that group yeah. of friends. And I think a lot of people yeah. realized over the pandemic um, those that did not reach out to you, you know, and, and reciprocate, I think, you know, you really realize, wow, you, you it, it's best to have quality over quantity. And yeah. I think that's, and I feel very, like, yeah. And I feel fortunate that I have like 
five close friends. That's a lot of close friends. It's a lot. So, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And Erin, what is your emotional support? Hey, Victoria got two, so I want two, too. You can have three. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we live on the, Victoria and I both live on the west coast of British Columbia and in the fall for me, my stabilizer is mushroom hunting. It was the only way I could get grounded would be out in the forest. You can't rush it. You have to go slow and almost defocus your eyes to find them. Otherwise you just, <clears throat> otherwise you just don't see them. And then my second one is, is more recent. And I bought this young horse that was just very recently trained, way actually beyond my expertise. And then a few months ago in, in trying to train him, I started doing kind of like, I thought it was a bit hippie, but body work and massage mm. and kind of energy, energy work with the horse. And I've been practicing that a lot with him. And I just had the best experience over the last few weeks where I've actually realized that I'm not even doing this for the horse. It's me. He works great when I ground and I can do that through him. And it's just like, it's been this gift that I've had this year that comes again, again, actually from working with animals is that, yeah, to work well, well with animals, I need to settle into myself. And if I remember that, then I'm usually doing okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. And how can we all find you either on social media or through the app? What is the app called? You know, I'll have all the links, but how can we all find you? Well, you can find me at victoriamaxwell.com is probably the easiest way. Um, that's probably the, the best way to get all the information. Um, also, Psychology Today, I've got a, um, a blog called uh, Crazy for Life. So you can just Google Victoria Maxwell Love it. Crazy for Life. Psychology Today, that's probably the two things. Yeah. And you can learn more about our research at crestbd.ca. Well, thank you so much. I just, I have such love and admiration for both of you. And I'm so uh, blessed to have been um, asked to be part of this whole Crest BD world and the World Bipolar Today and International Society of Bipolar Disorder. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much.